0: I just want to read something, um, and uh, it's someone I'm walking with, um, and uh said this, I asked, I asked this person, I just said, what did you hear last week? And I think these words are awesome. My biggest takeaway from last week was to really think about what partaking in something is. It's more than just being present or open to ideas or even reacting, but it's an ingesting of something. Bringing it into yourself to let it seed and grow. Powerful words. And um, this is what the gospel is to be and do in our lives. It's to participate, it's to enter into us. I was sharing with Liz this morning and I said, it's funny, you know, I said, the gospel isn't to be this thing that tickles our ears, a sword is quite dangerous. And, uh, you know, if, if we get pierced with a sword, it hurts. And yet it creates life. So the true gospel, the true word of God, should create some sort of response. You'll either love it or hate it, depending on where we can be at. Because if we're more flesh, when the gospel turns up, which is a sword to cut flesh, it's not that great, eh? It's like, oh, that tickles a bit. We went and saw 1917. And um, part of the movie, this guy gets stabbed, and it's painful. And he knows he's about to die. And yet, with the gospel, death comes life. Jesus had to die for there to come life. And so our flesh must die for there to be life. And the Bible is very clear. It doesn't have this sort of midpoint. doesn't have this lukewarm point. It's either this or this. It says you'll either love it or you'll hate it. And we're called to love it, aren't we? And we're called to know there's life in the gospel, there's life in the word of God. And so we're just going to keep talking about the gospel for quite a while because I know God said, I want you to speak about this for quite a while. (laughs) And what the gospel does is the work of God. So the gospel does the work that creates and performs this thing within us that enables us to live out the gospel. And this is the beauty of the gospel, is we don't have to do anything but ask, seek and knock and surrender. So the doing is in surrendering your lives to be built by the gospel. That's our doing part. There is a doing part. It's asking, seeking, and knocking, and laying hold of all that God has laid hold of us for. God gave me a picture just then in worship, and it was a picture of a uh, a, um, a rescue boy. You know, one of those circular boys that gets thrown out when someone is drowning. And I saw people laying hold of the boy, which was awesome, and being pulled in because the Bible says we're lost and we need to be rescued out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so hopefully we've all been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and we laid hold of the boy and now we're in the boat. But here's the problem. Sometimes then you think there's nothing else to lay hold of because you're in the boat, you got rescued, but now that's just the starting point of laying hold of everything that's for you. And you can't stop because you got rescued one day. It's a continuous laying hold of what you have been laid hold for. It never ends. Never ends. It's not a one-off. It's a continuous laying hold of, laying hold of, laying hold of. And the more your heart is to lay hold of, the more he gives. He's amazing. So... Let's um, come to One Peter one, please. <laughs> one Peter 1. And I'm just going to read the words out uh, from 1, to one from one to 25. And this is incredible. Um, and if you haven't got your Bible, just close your eyes. And listen to these words. And these are the words of Peter. And I've just been spending time in Peter and John. And these two men had laid and were laying hold of all that they were being laid hold of for. And there's incredible things. It says this, a living hope and a sure salvation. That's just the title. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside As aliens. Do you consider yourself an alien? That was a beautiful movie, wasn't it? Do you consider yourself as a stranger and an exile here on earth? You see, he is writing to aliens. He knows they're aliens. He knows that the people he's writing to, their home is not earth. Their country is not Aotearoa. They are looking towards a better country. And they are strangers and exiles on earth because they are from the kingdom of God living on the earth. They have entered into and are laying hold of all that Jesus laid hold of them for when he said, Turn repent, my kingdom has come with me and I'm establishing my kingdom in the very thing called the church, which then the church is built, not around buildings, but people. And so he's addressing these people, their identity as aliens. I love when I go and see He calls me the alien. You alien, you speak alien language. And he sends me these little emojis with this little green man that does this, you know. <laughs> and so we have alien talk when we go because we speak from revelation because the gospel is opening up everything that's in Christ. So this is how Paul, ad- uh, Peter, sorry, addresses these people: to those who reside as aliens, those of a heavenly calling—that's Hebrews three one. That's not in the, what I'm reading. Scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia. who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So they've been chosen, these alien people, in the foreknowledge. They've been predestined. The call was on them before they ever breathed. Do you know that if you're in Christ, you were chosen before you were ever born? To be an alien. (laughs) To be E.T., To be an extraterrestrial here on earth. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is not of earth, which is of another realm. And live as a kingdom ambassador. For you are not mere men and women. You are filled with God. To live from heaven on earth. Not towards heaven, from heaven. It's one of the greatest unfortunate lives that we've been spoken in the church is that heaven is the goal. Heaven is not the goal. Heaven came to earth. Knowing him is the goal. And knowing who you are, heaven is a certainty for those that just received Christ. Is not the goal. He is the goal. Knowing him is the goal. Because when you know him, you know his purpose and you know who you are in him. And you live like that on earth. You're an alien on earth. And you're predestined to know who you've been called to be. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given here, called here to sanctify you into who? Jesus Christ, the truth. It's the Spirit's role to build the church. It's the Spirit's role to bring revelation. It's the Spirit's role to lead us through a surrendered heart into all of who we are, aliens, strangers, and exiles, no longer prioritizing our physical lives and everything of the physical over becoming who we actually are. You can be an alien and prioritize the natural Over actually discovering the spiritual life that we've been called to live. God does not want us to do that. He wants us to discover who He is because we have been called to be His own possession. So, the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus. See, I'm going to just, this is the gospel. What you're hearing now is the gospel over 25 verses. See, when the Spirit comes upon you and the Spirit starts doing the work, do you know what the natural thing to do is? Obey Jesus. When the Spirit's not doing that work, it's very hard to obey Jesus because you're still living. And the gospel needs to penetrate our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit so we can just obey Jesus. It is an honor to obey Jesus. It is an absolute joy and a privilege to do what he asks you to do without ever going, oh, I need to pray about that. You just do it. Why? Because you know him. He knows you. What he's saying is there's such a fellowship and relationship, you know his heart, so you know what is of him. And he just says, can you go and do it? I think at times, and I'm not saying we don't pray, but I think at times we spend way more time using prayer as an excuse to get out of what he's actually saying to do. So when the Spirit's doing this work to obey Jesus... And be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. What does that look like? To have grace, the empowerment of God operating in your life. You see, Paul said, I want to have fellowship with your power that rose you from the grave. I want to have fellowship with your sufferings. I want to know more of the power that rose you from being dead to life. I want to know this because I need it to live the life I've been called to live here on earth. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The mercy of God the favor of God, the thing God poured out on mankind that man didn't deserve because no one is good enough, God's incredible mercy. How well do you know his great mercy? Because it really helps to live this life and obey God. When you see through the eyes of the Spirit doing a sanctifying work, how far we all were away from God, destitute and destined in our darkness in our sin and not even interested in God, but God who had chose us, decided to enlighten us and to bring us in and draw us. When he shows you these things, you fall to your knees and you weep. But you're not weeping because you see your brokenness, you're weeping because you see his love that was covering your brokenness, the very thing we just prayed for. You get a revelation of his love in the state that you love me, Lord. How great is your mercy, Lord? You see, it says in Romans, In view of God's mercy, lay your lives down. Do you know it's very hard to lay your lives down unless the gospel has penetrated and you become a partaker of the gospel and see God's mercy. It's It's the why. It's the why and the enablement to lay your life down. Without the enablement, it's us trying to lay our life down. That's really hard. That's why it's hard, but in him it's not hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but there's an empowerment to do the thing that he asks and so you obey. And on the other side of that obedience is life. Like not any life, eternal life, the life that we were predestined for, and you become this alien. And you live as an alien. We like Star Wars? Everyone I know likes Star Wars. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, this is a living person. This is a living hope. What does a living hope feel like on the inside? What does it look like to wake up every morning with a living hope? Because you've partaken of the very thing, Jesus' death and his resurrection. You have fellowship with the reality of what he did. I'm not just associated with what he did, looking at it from the outside. It's entered into me, and I now have a partaking. I get this. I have a living hope. I have the outcome of the gospel in me. See, this is what happened to these men. They had the corresponding reality of the gospel within them. They're not writing from theory. They're writing from experience. They're writing from experiencing the power that rose Jesus from the grave within them. So when they speak, they speak the living word of God, which if their hearers have ears to hear and receive it through power, that substance will change them. And so their hearer then has a living hope. It's not just, oh, yeah, Jesus is alive and well. No, a living hope within you is an anchor for your soul. When things happen around you, when life turns up, this anchor keeps you firm. It doesn't have you a ship that's being sailing that way because the anchor wasn't in the ground, the ground being Christ. So the hope, this living hope, directs your path. How do you get this, Greg? Through receiving the gospel. Every outcome we receive is purely from the gospel because man cannot change himself. Everything that man tries to whip up is foolish and it's actually futile and it's just about to perish when any decent test comes along. That's why the Bible says test to see whether you're in the faith. And we need faith, meaning the knowledge of God, if we're going to be aliens. Otherwise we'll be earthlings. And our lives will be... Our temporary lives will be anchored in the earth, and we will live for the earth and the things of the earth. We will live for human marriage. We will live for having children. We will live for career. We will live for sport. We will live for us, and we will miss our true identity and our true call as an alien to bring the gospel, the kingdom to earth. Because you're partaking of the very gospel. It's the gospel that opens up this eternal person called Jesus Christ, who the Bible says in Hebrews is the unseen. He came up and said to Noah, he said, Noah, let me show you things of the unseen. And it said, in reference to what Noah was shown through the gospel in the unseen, what did Noah do? He built the saving instrument that was going to save mankind for those that had a soft heart which was only eight people unfortunately you see through seeing in the unseen you get prepared do you know who the modern day ark is and his followers because god wants you to be people who demonstrate a reality that gets people saved You can't save people, but the reality you live is a signpost for what it looks like to be in Christ. And so people get saved because they look at you and go, I want what you've got. Tracking? But what happens is you see in the unseen because the gospel propels you into the unseen and you partake of the richness of what's in Christ because the gospel is this. And who was on that cross? Jesus. So Jesus Christ is the living gospel. He's the demonstration of the gospel. He's what you're looking at. He's your perfect example. If you want to know what it looks like to partake of the gospel, look at Jesus Christ. Don't look at an empty wooden sticks. This is full on, eh? Listen to this. Man, this is amazing. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wow there's an inheritance which is imperishable undefiled it will not fade away reserved in heaven for you so there are things in this eternal realm that are waiting for us to discover but you know you can discover them now but i thought they were in heaven yeah they are but if you can see into heaven because where are you seated See, Ephesians tells me that I'm seated in heavenly places. So if I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ, can't I see what's in the heavens? And so there are things way beyond just this earth that God has in store. Do you know God wants to reign with you and you with him in a future dimension? Do you want to know that the Bible says the saints, the aliens, are called to judge the angels? Like, which people group is he talking about here? you and I, the saints, the overcomers. There is way more contained in the unseen in the gospel, and we've only scratched the surface as the church. We're all called to know and be granted to know the mysteries of what's in heaven and to bring them to earth. For you have been granted to know, Matthew 13, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So if I've been granted to know them and they're freely given... Then how do I get to know them, God? He's a great question, Greg, through the gospel. Through partaking of the substance of this living spirit, this word that my Holy Spirit has been commissioned to reveal in you. Wow. Yep. (laughs) Through faith. Faith is not trust. We confuse the two. We say faith is something I need to hopefully get by in whatever I'm going through. That's trust. I need to trust God when I don't have faith. So faith is the absolute knowledge of what you can see in God and you've believed it, received it, and you have a confidence in you and you just live from it. So if you have faith, as this is describing and that faith is growing, remember, which is the knowledge of God, then you know the things that are in here. You know the inheritance that is waiting you. What do you think that does to your life to know there's an inheritance waiting you? Do you think that enables you to let go of what you're hanging onto on earth and grab hold of the inheritance? But you don't get an inheritance and some, someone dies. Is that right? Hey, Danny. So someone has to die for the inheritance to be activated. Yeah? So who died for you? So Jesus died that you would know the full inheritance that awaits for you in heaven, but you can know it now. Why? Because you're seeing in the unseen realm and you're seated there in your spirit because you're receiving from the Holy Spirit. Because the gospel has partaken. You're a partaker of Christ. When you hear partake of the gospel, just think partaking of Jesus Christ. Did Jesus say you to eat my flesh and drink my blood? He's not nothing to do with natural, is it? So what I'm talking about is a spiritual dimension on this natural earth, which we all need ears to hear. Otherwise, you think I'm talking about cannibalism. You think I'm talking about something crazy and weird. And you go, man, that guy's lost the plot. I thought we gave up cannibalism years ago. (laughs) Oh, man, we've got to be cannibals and eat his flesh and drink his blood. Because he says, if you don't, you'll have no life in you. Do you think Peter knows this now he didn't know it though did he Jesus said to Peter you got little faith bud how can the man who had little faith then write about faith something happened between you got little faith and now you have faith that you can write about faith and God goes that's cool sign that one off remember it's my book so God signs everything off that was written in here because it's God's book not man's book everything was inspired through the Holy Spirit That's what Peter teaches me, which is really what the Spirit's teaching me. So everything in this book is God's book, God's words, because God signed it off. Yeah? So you've got to just obey what he says. Works really well. Obedience produces life. Where am I up to? Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. It's time to party! Oh, 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 oh. Why? Because you're in a reality you know. Stuff is like little old Greg Singer, That's right. Look who you've been called to be, son. Look what I did for you. Look where you were. Look where you are now. Now look where you're going. My goodness, this is the great gospel message. This is good news. Anybody want to know? And you greatly start to praise. It's not you're trying. It's not someone has to whip you up. It's not like Jay has to hit the right chord and hit the right vocal. No, you just want to praise. You don't even need music because you are the music. You are the thing. You are the instrument. Because you're just so excited about what you're seeing and have received. This is why Paul is able to go, this is all momentary light affliction. I don't know if you can consider getting whipped five times, 39 times, being shipwrecked twice, being stoned and left for dead, momentary light affliction. Anyone? But it is compared to what he's looking at. The man was so dead in his flesh and so alive in the Spirit that he's full of God, full of the Spirit. And when you're full and alive and in faith, you're able to utter the words that Jesus uttered when he said, Father, forgive them for stoning me right now. Don't hold this against them. Who was that? So Stephen and Paul have fellowship, do they not? Not relationship with one another. They may not even probably known one another. You might have known him as Saul and did know him as Saul. Then they had fellowship. And then they're both able to say the same thing and live the same way. Because they're both looking at the same thing. How? Through the gospel. I hope you're hearing the gospel is way more than just asking God to forgive my sins. As cool as that is, that is the starting point of the gospel. It is not the end, guys. It is the start. And it opens up this incredible realm. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof, listen to this, of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, remember the inheritance is imperishable and undefiled, so you've got this faith, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. How do you love someone you can't see? Because you see him, eh? You know him. Even though you've never seen him physically, you know him and you see him. You recognize him. You recognize when he speaks. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a power, not a force. He's very powerful, and there is power within him, but he is a person that you can know even though he's the invisible person. How well do you know the invisible person called the Holy Spirit? The Bible says he's to be our counselor. What is he going to counsel me in? good, Warren. He's going to counsel me in the Word of God. He's going to open up the Word of God. He's my comforter. He's not so concerned about my comfort. That's why he's the comforter. Because when he comes to show me the Word of God, I'm going to freak out a little bit. And he's even going to comfort me and say, son, stay here for a while because it ends well. But we have to show you the truth, for it to you be in truth. What else is he? He's my teacher. He's going to teach me, like he's going to counsel me. He's going to open up the wisdom of God, which is Jesus Christ, to me. How does this all happen? Through the gospel, through the Spirit of God bringing the gospel to light and life. In me, so when my faith is tested, I have a proof that I'm in the gospel. It's more precious than gold, the greatest commodity probably on the earth today. It's greater than that because that's perishable. We're talking about something that's imperishable that we can live from and partake of now and forever. Do you know he puts his word higher than his name? What's that about? Oof. Where am I up to, and you cannot love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him that's how you come to see him. You believe in him. you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. See, salvation is an entire process. It is not just a one-off prayer. And that's why Paul said we must fight the good fight. And to those who actually enter into salvation, being the entire process of transformation, there's going to be a reward. And for those that don't, there is loss. And I'm not talking about non-Christians. I'm talking about Christians. Christians will suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ When the fire goes through you to see what work has been done in you and through you. And if there is no work of the Holy Spirit, you will be saved but through fire, it says, and you will suffer loss. What am I losing? You're losing your inheritance that you were given because you didn't take the time to discover it all. It is not losing my justified position in Christ. I've lost my inheritance that was actually bestowed, which I had no idea about. See, we've told people, once, once saved, you're all good, you're in the camp, then just go get other people saved. It's not that. It's get saved, get discipled, get mature, grow up in the Spirit, start eating the Word of God so you can partake of all that is in. As you do that, people will be drawn to you because I'll be drawing lost people to you because I saved them, not you. But while you're out there just living, they'll see a light so bright because you're maturing. You're not just across a line. And you'll have a wisdom and a substance and a life about you that will become so intoxicating for them because you're seeing things and living things and you're putting priorities in your life. And where you choose to spend your resources, it's very different to them. And you're able to stay and be grounded and be in peace and joy when all their lives are falling apart why because you're on the process of salvation not just this beginning thing and then you just live for you so the choice is all ours isn't it and you really have to allow your heart to enter into the other red letters that Jesus gave to the church you have to allow the lion messages to hit you not just the lamb ones You have to allow the lion to turn up in your room and say, we've got to deal with some things. Knock, knock, I'm here. Open up the door. I'm coming in. You've covered over. I'm going to uncover. And I'm going to release you from you. Whoa, I don't know what that looks like. I'm just quite happy being settled, justified here. He goes, well, that's cool. But if you want all, I am the God of the all. I've called you to be my own possession, no one else's. And I want to do a work which will release you from you. So then you can represent me to the fullest and people will see me in you. You're called the body of Christ and none of you are living for you anymore. That's the church he's building here and that's why it's an offensive message to those who want to hold on to their life and tag Jesus on. Unfortunately, we've got an eldership here, including myself, that aren't interested in that. We're all or nothing I said, God, 10 years ago, this whole thing might fall apart. He said, son, it's not yours, it's mine. Oh, sweet. Okay, let's go. It's on me to build it, not on you. So preach my truth and I will go to work. And then you go have a sleep. So whether you like it or not, and whether you want to make this your home, you, you, you're, you're, you're going to join a family that's all or nothing. You're going to join an eldership team that are going after all that's in God, not just getting across the line. You're going to get an eldership which is going to ask the question of itself first and say, where are we all at? What does the spiritual fellowship look like? Where are you at the gospel? These are the conversations we have as an eldership. We were with Paul and Anne yesterday, just last night, helping Danny and I in some things in our relationship. It was beautiful. We're real. We're open. We want it all. And God is building an all house, meaning people, not a building. But man, that is a bit scary. Yep, I get it. Yeah, it's scary. But love casts out all fear. Do you know it's possible to not be afraid? If, you, if no one can kill you, what are you afraid of? <coughs> if he releases you from fear because you know him, because you're in the gospel, what are you afraid of? Most people are afraid to die. Coronavirus. Oh my giddy aunt. <laughs> what is it going to be like when it really kicks off? We are not to be like the world. We're not to be running around manic, panicking, worried, stressed. We're to have faith and hope. There's so much in here. I'm going to read this fast, okay? Verse 10. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, me, made careful searches and inquiries. See how we're all one people? The people who are cheering us on that Hebrews 11 talks about are these guys. You have a crowd of witnesses. We have people cheering us on going, come on, the church. Let's get on board with the Father's plan. Do you know why? The Bible tells you, it says, because until the church comes into its fullness, they're still waiting for their inheritance and it's in one. So they've got an ulterior motive as to why they're cheering us on, but it's not from selfish desires. It's that we would become the church of our generation that has been prophesied before the beginning of time that they knew about, that they were looking into the future because they knew the gospel. Do you know Abraham was preached the gospel? How can Abraham get preached the gospel before the gospel had even turned up? Because it turned up at the beginning when Jesus wrote it. He was the gospel. The gospel was in the beginning was the word. It has always been. It wasn't just 2,000 years ago for us when this guy came down. It was at the beginning. This is incredible. And so God shows Abraham the future. Noah was seeing the future, was he not? Everyone else was like, what is this guy doing? What is this boat thing? God, is this guy nuts? No, he saw the future and his life was aligned to the future. So he was prepared when the flood came. There's a flood coming. Are you prepared? Will your ark float? (laughs) Will it get taken out? Guys, we can't be the house that's going to get bowled over. Why? Because we heal the sick, we raise the dead, we cast out demons, but we don't know him. Because we're immature. See, we've been given a gift and power, but we don't know the one of the gift and the power. So we get entangled in signs and wonders, but not in Christ. And so when he turns up and you think, I'm going to get a really good reward because I cast out the demons, healed the sick, did all your things, he goes, who are you? I don't have a reference point for you. So we need to mature. We don't want to be the house that can't hear his words. We want to be the house that is built upon the rock, not on signs and wonders. We want to be the house that's built on the rock, not on reaching the lost. We want to be the house that's built on the rock, not on all the works we do. We want to be the house that's built on the house. Because the builder of the house is someone. And who is the builder of the house? His name is Jesus Christ. And he builds through the gospel. He modeled the gospel. So he builds on the thing he modeled. Man, this is amazing news. Verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the gospel must be declared, preached by the Holy Spirit. So a man or a woman that brings the word must be in the Spirit must be receiving revelation from the Spirit, for it is the Spirit that brings to light the teachings of the Father, not man. Jesus preached his Father's teaching because he was a man in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit preached the Father's teachings because the Spirit is the Spirit. A man or woman who preaches the gospel must be in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to the man, and the man or woman speaks. What a beautiful fellowship of order, of spirit, spirit, spirit. If Jesus needed to preach his Father's truth from the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, do you think man needs to? So if we've got nothing revealed from heaven, then we all need to keep quiet because it's just Greg's opinion. And nobody here needs Greg's opinion because Greg's opinion doesn't build the body of Christ. The Spirit said to me years ago, this is a bit embarrassing, he said, son, give me something to work with. (laughs) (laughs) You know how humbling that is? You mean give you something, I'll be giving you good, I know you think it is, and look, look, I admire the effort, I admire the heart, that's what's been saving you, I admire the intention, but some of this stuff, As good as it sounds, is your version of me. It's close, but just not quite. And God taught me that day. He said, some, if it ain't revealed, do not reveal it. And then you find Romans 15, 18, Paul saying the same thing. I will not presume to speak of anything that has not been done through me. Why? Because how do I know it's of me and him? Because the living work of the gospel is a true testimony of the work Jesus is doing. See, it's not the words, it's the work. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What Jesus has done, the gospel, the partaking, everything he has done is the spirit in which one declares. Prophecy is just the declaring of the living word of God. It's not just this thing. Lisa, I see you going in five years time to Cambodia and you're going to establish a school. That is a prophetic word, but prophecy is way more than that. The Bible says the scriptures are prophetic. They're living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So that's micro-prophecy. That's earthly prophecy. Macro prophecy is, let me tell you about the unseen kingdom realm. Let me tell you about your inheritance in the saints. Let me preach to you the bride of Christ. Let me tell you you're supposed to be an alien. Let me unfold the mysteries of the kingdom in the unseen realm. So prophecy operates in the macro and the micro. But what we focus on is the micro because we don't yet really know the macro. And yet we need to know the macro and the micro. But the the, the macro defines the micro. A lot of M's. And so you see this written everywhere. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Prepare your minds for action. What's coming? Thoughts to take you out. Thoughts to rob you from becoming an alien. Thoughts to rob you from your identity. Thoughts to rob you from knowing who the Father is. Thoughts that will get you entangled in doing what you think is his will, but you do your own will, and it's lifeless. Do you know your flesh can throw you thoughts? Your feelings can throw you thoughts? Your feelings can become your reality, and your reality you can live out, and it's all a lie. But it's your truth. And you believe your truth, you live out your truth, but it's all a lie. The feeling is real. But it's just not true. You also have an adversary who's going to play on your feelings and your flesh. So the true battle is between the gospel of the spirit and the flesh. It's not the enemy. We give the enemy power by not knowing the gospel. Can we agree with that? Good. Because most of it's preached the other way around. The enemy, the enemy, the enemy. The first point of call is not the enemy. The first point I call it is go, God, help me and show me where I've gone wrong. If you know the gospel more and more and more the truth, track this, and the enemy turns up with a thought, do you not recognize it as a lie if you know the truth? So there is no battle, is there? (laughs) If I tried to convince you that one and one equal 10, how far would I get? Nowhere at all, because you all know one and one equals two, because you know the truth. So it doesn't matter how good the liar is, how good I am, how deceiving I am, because he uses temptation, deception, and he says things to you to try and entice you, and yet if you know the truth, oh, come on, man, you're better than that, you're not this, you're not that, oh, come on, man, is that all you got? Really? Really? That's about what spiritual warfare should be, guys. I've had the demonic in our room. I've had it in the kids' room. You know your authority because you know the gospel. You speak and it leaves Because it has to leave, because the one of authority, not it, is talking to it. Because I know the authority that is on me, because I'm an alien, because I know the Father, because I'm in partaking of the gospel to the measure I am. So I'm the one with the authority. He's the one with the smoke screen mirrors and all the game. But if you're the one of authority and you speak, It leaves. So when it tries to tell you a little lie and you know all the thousands of thousands of thousands of thoughts the Father has about you, there is no battle. The battle was won at Calvary, but it was really won before the foundation of the earth, wasn't it? Because it was in place. And see what we've done is because we're maybe associated with the gospel and not partaking of the gospel, we go into another gear and another lane, and then we're doing this all this fleshly stuff that we call spiritual warfare that's going nowhere. and we say the same. And then when it turns up again, we're like <clears throat> on the floor again. rather than overcoming. we're called to be overcomers, are we not? Has God defeated everything? Did he finish everything? So he then says you need to partake of it all so you come into who you are so you just walk out a life of victory. You're not fighting. You're walking out a life of victory. The Israelites didn't need to fight the baddies in the promised land, did they? They just had to possess what was there because who had actually gone before them? God. So they had to lay hold of what God... How do you lay hold of this? Through the gospel. Through partaking of what Jesus did... On that cross, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope. Remember? A living hope. Fix your living hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not just when Jesus returns. It's what he did. This grace thing, which is more than a covering. We get it. Can we say it's a covering? It may be a bit of that. It's power. You're saved by the power that rose him from the grave. You're saved by grace. It's an empowerment. It's an enablement which enables you to live. Listen to this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There's a standard to live up to. We can't abuse what he has done And say, Well, he loves me. God expects and is looking for change. Formerly, you were here. And that's fine because you didn't know me. But I died for the iniquity, the nature of sin, and I died for the power of sin to release you from this life into this life. And so we have to take account. We can't just go, Oh, well, it's all good. I'm saved. What is that saying about what he did? Do you think if he turned up and you said to Jesus, Oh, you don't mind, do you, if I just keep dabbling in that stuff? What do you think he would say to you as someone who died, went through what he went through so you wouldn't have to? Now, he would love you, but what else do you think he'd say to you as your loving brother, father, groom, Lord and Savior. I think there would be a conversation where he spoke life into you that said, Greg, you were predestined before the foundation of the earth not to be in this stuff. Some, it's about seeking the life that's found in me so I can free you from this stuff, that you don't walk in this manner, but you walk in the manner in which I have called you for. Above the earth, no longer a citizen of earth, and this is who we've been called to be. And I do believe, guys, that there's an identity crisis in the body of Christ. I really believe this, and I say, this with love, there is a massive identity crisis as a whole. We know how to have great meetings. We know how to write great songs. We know how to build buildings. We know how to do all these things and yet do we actually know how to live as an alien on this planet? Not living for the things of this earth, but living for Christ. Laid our lives down, never picking them back up and have a heart for Him and a heart for people and all we're interested in is fulfilling His will. See, this is the gospel that really starts to create a tension. I can feel it in the atmosphere. It's just shifting. (laughs) Stay with me. Allow the weight of it to bring you to repentance. Allow who you've been called to be. See, we want this nice little thing, and it's not that. The word of God brings life, but it's not nice. It's not nice. My demonstration with Tim, if I'd thrusted Tim in his belly straight through him, literally last week, it wouldn't have been nice. It would have been messy, bloody. Tim would have screamed before he rose him from the dead. <laughs> you see. It's life, but it's not nice. And you have to allow the gospel to squeeze you because until you let it squeeze you and squeeze you and squeeze you and choke you to death, you're outside of something he wants you in. And we can't live this life out and yet I've been predestined to it. It's all good news, but there's a transitional point. And see, it's the work of the gospel. Where are we up to? Just come with me to Philippians, and then I just want you to see this. I'm not really going to speak from it. Philippians 2, sorry, no, Philippians 1. There's some homework for you. Go look at Philippians 1, 1 to 11. Specifically, verse 5 and 6, and then 9 to 11. Let me just read this, verse 5. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So the first day is really important. The first day you got born again is essential. See, if you got born again just through words, meaning you heard words when agreed in your head, that that's true. That's not necessarily a born-again experience. A born-again experience is when the power of God comes into you because the seed pierces and you know there's new life in you. There's a recognition of something changing that wasn't there before. See, the baby is born and comes out. There's a reality. It's not born unless the baby stays in. And there's a brand new food source that the baby is looking for when it comes out. So it's been having, it's feeding on its mother. It comes out, no longer looking for that food source, looking for something else called milk through the breast. And the baby instinctively knows it needs something else, and it goes looking for it. Correct? Right. So that's what it's like to get born again. So the first day, it can be like this, whack, and it can be that small, the size of a mustard seed. But it's a born of a spiritual Experience in view of this first day, this is important because of verse 6. Until now, you see, until now, so from the first until now, I am for I am confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, till the day Jesus is coming back, God's going to perfect the perfect work He started. In you. For me, it was 1997, 23rd of December, 10 a.m. That was the first day I got born again. And God has been perfecting this work for 22 years now and building himself in me because I had a reference for being born again. I had a reference for God because I had an experience of God within me. I didn't hear a man or woman preach words. I had an experience of God In me, like Paul said, I was not taught it by man. I didn't receive it by man. I received it in me through a revelation of a person. I had an encounter. I experienced God. So I had a reference of the 22 years from the first day until this day you see now is defined by that start. And if I haven't started there like the disciples, because the disciples didn't start here. They had three and a half years here. Then they actually start back here after three and a half years at Pentecost. So nothing is wasted because God used it all, but their starting point was actually Pentecost of being born again, even though he said, come follow me. Because he was outside of them, wasn't he? And this is why they couldn't hear him. This is why they were doing the opposite. This is why for most of the time when he was with them, outside of what he gave them authority to do, they were doing their own thing. Because they were trying to hear and listen, trying to do the right thing, weren't trying to do it wrong. That's why Peter turns up with a sword. He was set up by God for a deep work of participation. Then you come down to nine. Listen to this. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. What's real knowledge? Real knowledge is... Jesus, the knowing of Jesus, the truth that makes you free. To abound more and more and all discernment that you see here, not here. You discern the things in the Spirit. You hear in the Spirit. You discern what's happening within the Spirit. Like I said, it just shifted before in the Spirit, but it's come back. And you can discern it so then you can appropriate the things in the Spirit when to speak, when not to speak, what to say, what not to say, true discernment, not through what you look at here. this is deceptive there, okay listen this, so that so the so that why, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, the gospel to the glory and praise of God so that you can approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere. Can you hear the connection? You're coming into more and more of his love, which is God, in all discernment so you can see in the spirit So you can approve, you can give testimony, you can live in the things that are in the unseen. You're getting ready through the gospel because you're partaking of the day he returns. So you're able to live as an alien, as a stranger, as an exile on this earth. You are a royal priesthood of stones that are not square, which man puts together and builds. They are round, all funny shapes that the Holy Spirit draws together. Funny sizes, different things, different colors, brings together. And with the Spirit, he glues us together. It's all done of the Spirit. And you become a royal priesthood, holy and pleasing to God for God's own possession. I am not talking about someone who wears a dog color, I'm talking about the priests, the kings of God, the church of Jesus Christ that he is raising up on this earth to fulfill her mandate in this time. But all of that and everything I've said this morning is concealed in the gospel, waiting to be revealed, waiting for you and I to partake of it as we lay down our lives and spend this precious thing called time. The greatest commodity that no one seems to have, but you need if you're going to understand and come into what I've said. A two-minute quick prayer in the car on the way to work isn't going to cut it. Now by his grace and his love he might give you one or two things but if you want to know all that you have been called and chosen for there is a thing called time that must be put aside out of a delightful heart and you want to hear from the one who has much to say and then we become the instrument of change we become fellowed with fellowship together see at the moment we've got maybe relationship maybe some fellowship but God wants this to be all fellowship he wants a people that might not even know each other who know him and one another do you believe that's possible that you cannot know the person beside you physically but know them because of the God they know and you know and so actually there's this love coming out of you for someone you don't know because you know him see it's not dependent on the physical is it But see, if we're depending on the physical, we're in trouble. Because as soon as the person beside you, husband, wife, brother, friend, whoever, stranger, upset you, there goes the relationship. If it's based on relationship, we are all in trouble with one another. But it's not, see? John said, I share what I share so whoever he's speaking to can have fellowship with us. He's saying there's a group of people that don't have fellowship with us. And I share what I share so they can. Can you hear his heart for these people? So we're of the same family because we're in Christ, but we obviously don't have fellowship. He knew they didn't have fellowship with one another. Hence, he speaks of what he's speaking about so they can. This is how it happens. The word gets spoken. We hear it. We believe it. We accept it. We receive it through the Holy Spirit. It performs a work in us. 1 Thessalonians 2.13-14. Check it out. I'm not lying. And then we become imitators of God. And what's our role? Make the time to be found in His presence with a humble heart and say, Teach me. Do it together. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you for your incredible living hope, your life in us. I thank you for the work you are doing here, building a people that are not who they once were, but who we've been called to be, our identity in you, aliens, strangers, exiles to this earth, but not to the ambassadorship and the kingdom we're from citizens of heaven living on earth for a period of time in tents, knowing that we are sojourners on the earth. But Lord, what gives earth meaning is the fact we know you and seeing your kingdom established, not living for our kingdom. That's just full of worry and anxiousness and lack. So Father, today I pray, Holy Spirit, that we're excited there's a there's an awakening. There's a there's a oh, there's life coming in our spirit of who we've been called to be. God, I pray this wouldn't bring us down, but bring us up. Yeah. I pray that our, our minds wouldn't be looking down, but looking up, setting our minds on you where you are. Because we've been called to live with our heads up, not down. You've set us free from shame. You've set us free from worry. You've set us free from anxiousness. God call out your saints, call them out, draw them unto yourself, show us who we are in you, that we can live from our new identity, our new creature, new creations in Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.